0: Davis Vision's New Year special continues through February. Save $1,000 off normal pricing now through the end of the month. Check them out now at davidsvisionmd.com. Little football news to pass along. Yak just told me BYU scheduled USF, and I thought the basketball team had fit a couple games into. No, it's football. They're not filling out the basketball schedule. It's football for uh, 2022 and 2024, home and home with South Florida. But Gregor Bell came to your rescue on Twitter, though. Oh yeah, yeah. He's just he put out like the games that BYU's had postponed due to basketball conflicts. Really, only one of them looks like it will be. Could be rescheduled, and that's the game against San Francisco. There's one window, I guess. That so there could exists. be USF on multiple fronts. Sure, uh, we're gonna have uh, we're gonna have on the Clippers beat writer Andrew Greif in the segment. We usually recap everything. So PK, if we break away from the basketball or the Jazz from just a couple of minutes here, there's a little uh, Utah football news to pair up with the BYU football news here about a uh, a possible transfer, a link to the Ute roster, something that might get Ute fans just a little excited.
1: Uh, yeah, I heard that they're in line potentially to get a uh, a transfer out of Oklahoma who's, who's played a lot uh, as a defensive back, uh, Ridley Hiles. They call him Bookie. I think his name, first name is, I don't know what it is, Marcus or something. But anyway, Bookie. Not Boogie, but Book. Like Booker, Bookie, Ridley Hiles. Brendan Radley Hiles. Brendan. There you go. Nobody calls him that, though. But he's played. And actually, uh, Lincoln Riley was on. He put his name in a transfer portal, and Lincoln mm-hmm. Riley is saying he's going to hope that he stays. But he's buddies. What's that, that kid's name? Is uh, T.J. Pledger, the running back? Correct. Uh, that they got from Oklahoma, and these two guys are tight, best friends. Whatever is what what I heard. Uh, this is all secondhand. I haven't bothered to verify it all, and just put it out there. But you get an opportunity to uh, bring somebody in who, who's played at Oklahoma in the defensive backfield, and and Kyle continues to mine the the transfer portal as you should. Why shouldn't you? It's out there, so you might as well take advantage of it. Like Herm Edwards calls it the free agent period, right? <laughs> Which I but guess it's, essentially it's, what it
0: is. It's who these guys are, and it's so we talk about how sports is changing. You know, and you you referenced something from I don't remember what we were talking about, but you referenced something. From the Utes Mountain West era, there was some trend or whatever. And then you said, but really, that's like a different age. You know, that's like a different era. And, it, it, you know, the Pac-12 era, as far as the Utes, we've got, we got a decade of sample size now. It needs to stand on its own. And, like, inside that decade, everything's changed. I had the transfer portal now versus five years ago. When did the transfer portal officially become a thing, Yak? When did your life change? It's been around for three years now. Three years, right? So five years ago, it's not a thing, and now it's. Ah, I can't say it's more important than signing day, but it seems like it's pulling up alongside it. And 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 the way kids look at this, Radley Hiles, just and man, I mean, like seriously, before all this broke, I had no. I mean, I've watched Oklahoma football, obviously, but. He he didn't jump out at me or make any impression on me. And he is from Inglewood, but he went to the IMG Academy in Florida. And then he signs in Oklahoma. And now if he ends up transferring to Utah, the guy is literally not out of college and he's played in every time zone. Well, It's like, this is crazy, PK. This is completely different than anything that's come before it in college sports. That you would have a kid who'd be coming in, where would he be as far as eligibility? Senior. So is he going through a senior so he get because he got the free year last year or Oh yeah, I don't know about right? that. Right, exactly. So that's that
1: confusing goes. too. But that that's up to the individual. So I don't know but, about that. That's that's why the Oregon quarterback can say he graduated and has three years because he's going to take right? back the. So even <laughs> he may not use it, but nah. he's he's announcing that he has three years, so that makes him more desirable.
0: Uh, Brendan Radley Hiles was a 2018 five star. Yeah. Not a big kid, but a (laughs)
2: five-star. Yeah.
0: Wow. Englewood to
1: Bradenton to Norman to dot, dot, dot. Maybe Salt Lake City? (laughs) Well, that's where in the Florida situation is where he got the connection with the Pledger kid. Yeah. And that's where they became buddies is what I was told as far as that goes. And then he's... Um, that kid goes to Oklahoma, and, and uh, then, boy, he, this going to be. A, he's already at Utah, as I understand. Yeah, and I think
0: both those kids played against East High because IMG Academy came here, and I think it was, I think I think they were still in high school. I, I think it was that 2017 season. I'm not positive on that. I think it was three years ago, three oh, high school related. seasons ago. So, yeah. all right, well there you go, there you go, Ute fans, rally around that. The defensive backfield is, and he defensive backfield. It's already pretty good. You can never have enough depth, right? Kyle always talks about you're playing five guys uh, on any given snap and so you're gonna to have to have more than that.
1: Yeah, I, I I'm not convinced that it's good or, or the the great. Maybe it's good and maybe they'll be better with experience, it stands to reason. But I'm not gonna anoint this group as pretty good just yet. I mean, I, I saw average quarterbacks light them up. Uh they but and they were young, so they have an opportunity to be improving.
0: I yeah, so my game point game. is that that this ought to make them better. I mean, you need you, you think, need more yeah. depth. And so whoever the weakest link is gets fewer snaps.
1: He played a lot of nickel back. I think that's where they're thinking his uh, position would be from what I'm hearing. So, I think the bigger thing though is try to have success with this transfer portal. <clears throat> you know, I think they're going to have a starting quarterback well, certainly they're going to have a starting quarterback from the transfer portal. I think it's going to be this Baylor kid. Uh, and So if, if, if you have holes, I don't know that you can rely on it too much, but if you have spots where you can plug kids in, I think that's, that's good. It's still the essence of recruiting the high school kid and developing that player. To me, it's more... This is akin to the junior college situation. You have a specific need. You plug it in there, and that's good in the short term. So you have a John White and a Devin Booker, or not a Devin Booker, but uh, Devontae Booker. And so you're able to go uh, pretty much back-to-back, but then you get a Zach Moss, and then you have him in there for four years, and he ends up being all that and, and playing in the NFL. That's probably the way to go there, but you know if you have needs you can take advantage of that any way you can to win ball games within the boundaries of the rules i'm all for it because it's all about winning and kyle wants to win now it's not about planning for any future i think part of it with him being 62 years of age here coming up um, not that that's really that old. When you've got Nick Saban, who's much older than that, and Herm Edwards, much older than that, I just don't know that Kyle is going to be coaching. According to his own words, at sixty six, sixty seven, so the emphasis is trying to win as much as you can right now, which
0: is good. Well, I think the other thing is that regardless of what he decides to do there, and you know whether he wants to coach two, four, six, eight, whatever, I just think the program's gotten to the point now where they're they're not going to be that far away from winning and they may be very close you know they may be the favorite whether it's in the division or the favorite in the entire conference uh, everything shifts with the transfer portal so quickly you never know for sure but they're not that far away so if you have a chance to make a short term move and it has an impact especially given the nature of football no matter how it's handicapped in, in you know february or even august i mean injuries change everything in october and november if you're not that far away, there's always a chance to go for it and things break your way and you win the conference. It's not like you're trying to bounce back from, you know, five and seven or six and six. You know, you've had a bunch of nine win teams now or better.
1: No, that's the position that they've been in. So go ahead and take advantage of it. And the Cougars, you got to find games and. And, I, and I'd prefer it to be Central Florida. South Florida won one game last year. They are 1-8 and, and with a new coach. Uh, but, you know, they've been good in the past. They're a relatively new program to Division One. I. I don't think they started until like 2021 or so. Or uh, 01, I should say. Uh, and I, the thing that I like about it is the return game in 2023 is the last Saturday in October. You know, try to get as many quality games. I don't know that that'll be a quality game, but it has the potential to be uh, as later in the season as possible because that's been the big knock for BYU is that, you know, you come out of the gates with gangbusters and then it peters out. Uh, try to get as many good games as you can later on in the season, and they're playing in 2023, Saturday, October 28th. So we'll see what kind of program Central Florida, or South Florida has yeah. at
0: that time. They have uh, they have UCF in twenty three and twenty four. Yeah. So uh, this that wraps up the twenty twenty three season. I think that was the last game that they needed to plug in there. So, you know, uh, South Florida, you're right. It hasn't been that long. They were a one double A team, and they came to Rice Eccles Stadium, and the stadium was brand new. I think it might have been like the second or third game ever played in there. Maybe it was the second season, but so. Late late nineties, they were still at the championship subdivision level. So new yeah. to new to it all, but they have had uh, you know they had a big year a couple of years ago when UCF was undefeated and Central Florida had uh, I think came into that game with one loss and lost to them for the second one. So they have been good. They've they've ridden the roller coaster. That's for sure, way up and way down. All right, got to take a break. When we come back, Jazz Clippers tomorrow night, and then again on Friday, Andrew Greif will join us. Is Kawhi Leonard going to play? Is Paul George going to play? We'll get to that next. Stay with us. <laughs>
2: number one. Make us your number one present. In the Zone Sports Network.
0: DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 12.80, the Zone. The Utah Jazz win again. That is eight in a row. That is 19 out of 20. Jordan Clarkson goes for 40, and the Jazz... Outscore the Sixers 134 to 123. They have now swept the best in the East as the uh, Celtics and the Sixers and the Bucks. Three of the top four teams these come through town, along with Miami, who went to the NBA Finals last year and had Jimmy Butler back. PK, the next turtles should be the Clippers and the Lakers, who have the second and third best records in the NBA, but missing their stars now. AD's shutting it down, it looks like, till sometime after the All Star break. We'll see how long. And now the Clippers playing shorthanded without Kawhi Leonard and without Paul George. George's injury seems more serious, and he's been out six games, and Kawhi's been out two. It is time to talk Clipper basketball with Andrew Greif, Clipper writer for the LA Times. Andrew, good morning. Good morning.
2: Thank you for having me on.
0: Well, thanks for coming on again. We are curious about the health of the Clippers, and I don't know what you can tell us because they probably don't want to come completely clean with the LA Times. And yet, you have your ways. What, what do you know? What can you tell us about uh, Kawhi Leonard and Paul George?
2: Yeah, with these guys in particular—they play everything really close to the vest. Um, they, you know, Kawhi has always, for a long time, you know, wanted his health to be paramount, and so Clippers do not really disclose much until they really have to about his health. But what Ty Lue did say last night before they beat the Heat without four starters somehow. Um, was that they, uh, they they're working back to normal? That those guys, Paul George and Kawhi Leonard, are getting close to, closer to normal now. What that means for a timeline still unclear, but I, there are encouraging signs with PG in particular. Uh, before Sunday night's game, uh, when they played and they won, he was out in the court working out before tip off. It wasn't uh, you know like a fully active workout, but he was getting up shots. He wasn't doing a lot of dribbling, a lot of side by sides. What I mean. He's getting up shots, uh, making a healthy clip of them. so the fact that he his swelling in his toe and his right foot has gone down enough to get him uh, back into sneakers, back into shooting form, is at least encouraging in that respect.
1: So Clippers, you know, going big picture as far as what's going to be, hopefully, for them in the postseason, made a ton of changes over the offseason, you know, coaches and, and some players. How's it all coming
2: together? I think that this week, the, the way they've beaten um, the last two teams while being shorthanded, I think it's an interesting time to, to think about that because um, they really, when they made that move, wanted te- a team to can't get back to the way it played in 2019, 2018 and 2019 when it was um an underdog, kind of like they, they prided themselves on being scrappy and playing through, being hard-nosed and having good young players. That's what they wanted this team to get back to, and they felt like they'd lost that uh, in the last year. So that's what I think, they, especially the way they beat Miami last night, again, without four starters, um, shooting the lights out, contributions from a number of young players, Amir Coffey, Terrence Mann. Um, that, I think, is a really, I, I, I think if you were to give everyone like truth serum around the Clippers headquarters today, they'd feel really good about what they what they just saw because it's sort of like kind of the dream. Of when they let Doc go, uh, they wanted these guys to play hard without excuses, and how you know young guys really shine. And the beats of Zubats, who's been playing, he's still a backup center, but he's playing the majority of fourth quarter minutes this year. And I think from his form and the other guys, they've really gotten a like of what they see.
0: Andrew Greif joining us, Clippers writer for the LA Times, uh, and I know they let the coach go, and it's always easier to blame the coach than it is the star player but man from a distance it looked like they lost that mojo they had a couple of years ago because they brought in stars and it changes the chemistry in the locker room and quite doesn't seem like an outgoing warm guy and maybe he is and maybe he just hides it from the public and hides it from the media but it was like it seemed like his presence was a bigger part of this deal i mean the other guys when he's not there, they can do this, and they did it two years ago, and I realize the supporting cast isn't exactly the same, but is Kawhi really cemented to the rest of the group, I guess?
2: That's something that has been really helpful to hear from Serge Ibaka about. Because remember, they played together and they won together, championship mm-hmm. in, in Toronto. They know each other really well. Um, they have they've kind of understand what it takes to win big. And Serge had said that when he got here in training camp, in December, he told Kawhi, like, you are the leader. You need to be the guy whose example we follow. Like, that's, like, you know, you have to be a little more vocal in that way and recognize that, like, um, you are going to be able to do kind of your own thing a lot of ways uh, because everyone really caters to, you know, obviously a free agent to be of his caliber will want to do. But, you know, you also have to set an example. Um, and we asked Serge again two nights ago about, you know, just what have you seen from Kawhi kind of – um, two months in, and he said that he's been much more vocal, um, much more willing to engage. He said he feels like Kawhi's learned from last year's failures of the team, um, and so that is one kind of piece of the development where, you know, it's not just surge. Other teammates have said that Kawhi definitely has been more, um, kind of, I guess, less out of remove from the rest of the team in terms of the day to day. I don't know if motivation is the right word, but just kind of the encouragement, the talking. Um, and, and I think that is he is more of that guy than his public persona would suggest. But even to, even behind the scenes, people say that he's been uh, kind of more outspoken this year than ever before.
1: Where do you see weaknesses on this team?
2: Um, you know, I think that one of the things that always gets pointed at is their, their kind of lack of a quote unquote pure point guard. Um, I tend to be a little a little skeptical about it just because. There are a lot of opportunities but when Kawhi, Kawhi and Paul George are playing well, but the ball is in their hand uh, almost all the time. And they, they both have usage rates above 30%, I believe, this year. Um, they are. If Paul George is the best distributor on the team. And it's really worked out well for them so far. So given kind of what they have to deal, given their financial flexibility, it's going to be hard for them, I think, to really go out and get a bunch of upgrades from Patrick Beverly and Lou Williams. Um, they're, you know, they're kind of their starting guard, and they're obviously their lead reserve guard. Um, so I think that that is one area that is kind of pointed to as well. They need someone to initiate the offense more often when things get bogged down. But the reality of how you would go out and get that, I think, is a little hard. Um, some people have talked about too. Okay, is the big man? They need a third big man. Could Avita Zubac, you know, be that guy down the stretch in playoff games again? How is Serge Ibaka going to hold up? Um, both those guys in the last week have played their best basketball of the season. So that it's not a, it's not a long-term fix necessarily. You don't really know how it'll pan out in the playoffs, but, um, that's been an encouraging thing too for the Clippers that kind of the big man depth, um, seems to be working out pretty well right now.
0: So there are plenty of people here who wonder what the rest of the world thinks of the jazz. What is your part of the rest of the world? Think about the jazz.
2: I think they're just incredibly impressive. You know, I watched last night's game of um, the Sixers, and uh, we just wrapped, You know, it's just like because you don't get a whole lot of time sometimes to be able to watch the rest of the teams on the league, uh, where you're just kind of head in the sand covering your own team. But I try to watch the Jazz every opportunity I get. I just think that it's so the defense is so impressive, um, the ball movement, especially a couple nights ago. And obviously, there are like the highlight reels where. You know, guys are throwing it behind the back and then whipping it across the court. Those things stand out, but I think that there's just so much more that happens um, play-to-play with the ball movement that I'm just really impressed with. Obviously, the way Jordan Clarkson's playing is, is you know, uh, unbelievable. and So, I, I'm just really impressed. Like, all the way down, Royce O'Neal just seemed to give, like, give big minutes, uh, big shots. This seems like a very, extremely complete, very, a team that really knows what it is. And I think that's... Maybe I'm wrong on that, but it just, it just seems to be a team that knows exactly what it, what it does well, exactly what it has to do to win. And in this season, when there's so much uncertainty and there's so little continuity for teams because of testing protocols or other absences or the compressed schedule or attrition, I think it's extremely valuable to know exactly what you are as a team. And Utah seems to at least know that down to a T.
1: I think from the Jazz perspective, I think it's important to finish with that one seed. So if it plays out, you have the Clippers and Lakers going against each other in the second round. And then if you were to win, you would obviously face the winner in the conference final. Uh, how much do you think the Clippers care about playoff positioning?
2: I, in the past, it was always, let's just get to the postseason healthy because there was a the confidence that. You know, whatever the postseason path, obviously you want to have the most favorable one possible, but it was always the thought that as long as this roster can get there healthy, um, they feel good about their chances. You know, they just thought that the health is the key because if, if you you don't have you don't have you know your top seven in in about pretty good shape, then you're you're sunk almost no matter what you do. Um this team, I don't know, is quite as deep as last year's Clippers when they have the league top scoring bench. Um, not the case this year. Um, they started off slowly with the bench. Um, you know, you've, you've had Nick Batum working; He's been really good. Uh, Luke Kennard has some questions. So I think they just really want to make sure that they get to the playoffs um, with the roster feeling like, okay, these guys are good. We can play them in heavy minutes. We don't have to worry about um, nagging injuries. But, the, you know, obviously the West, let's, let's the, way the Lakers and the uh, Jazz are playing, you want to be able to skip one of those if possible. So I, I don't doubt that they, if it came down to it, Um, They would love to grab that one seed, But I'm just curious, obviously, with Anthony Davis out, um, you know, and the Clippers shorthanded, like how much of a buffer Utah can really put between itself and the rest of the West, the other, you know, two arguably best teams in the West in the next two or three weeks with with Anthony Davis being reevaluated. That's something that I'm really curious about. Like how how hard will it be to truly chase down the Jazz?
0: Andrew Greif, L.A. Clippers writer for the L.A. Times, joining us. So as I see these uh, Clippers stars missing games, uh, there's there's a part of me that loves a good conspiracy theory. Isn't there part of all of us that loves a good conspiracy theory? Is there any chance they're kind of underlining these uh, injuries and, you know, when in doubt, have a guy sit out, partly because you want him to get healthy and partly because then you can pull him out of the All-Star game without getting fined?
2: Um, I don't, I don't necessarily think so. I think that they, again, they just rather have these guys, this is a compressed season. Um, you know, what you do and you have a little, you have less ground ground to make up on other teams for that positioning. So I, I don't know if that would be the reason why, I mean, Patrick Beverly definitely was held out last night against Miami for rest. He's healthy, but because of his injury history, he just came off a stretch where he missed eight straight games with a knee injury. They're no longer playing him in back-to-backs, it sounds like. That's what Ty Lue had said last night, that it's a cautious thing. Um, they played Sunday, they played Monday. He played excellent Sunday, and they said, you're just not going to play anymore Sunday, excuse me, Monday. So that was an example of that. Now, he's not in the running for the All-Star game. Um, Kawhi Leonard had come out and said that the NBA was putting you know money over health. That was uh, a pretty remarkable thing to hear him say. So you know how he feels about it, but... I, I guess I would be surprised um, if this sort of, you know, holding a guy like him like of his caliber out for multiple games would be with that in mind.
1: How much of a difference in, in what areas is Ty Lue making?
2: He is someone, when he was hired, that the Clippers really felt like he would be an upgrade in his communication with guys. Um, one, because he is younger. Um, he's not that far removed from his playing career it's been a decade but um a lot of guys still remember him um from being the player you know Marcus Morris has known him since he was much younger coming up in Philly um Kawhi Leonard and Paul George have had a previous relationship with him so there's there was already built-in trust there and even Marcus said it last night that last year he felt like he was in no man's land in terms of what his role was what was needed from him and Ty was very explicit very early on of this is what we need um, in fact you know he's basically said you're me coming off the bench Nick Batum is working so well like and Marcus said okay let's do it so that's that's one area where people feel like he is um, uh, kind of better at defining roles and better at just keeping people on the same page I think the hallmark of his uh, what you're gonna see on the court is the ball movement um, the, the passes are something that um, is a big deal for the clippers they really felt like Last year's offense was way too star-dependent. You know, if, if Kawhi and Paul George didn't generate it, uh, then they were stuck. And that's where the, the, the point guard issue really came up last year because they really did need someone who could get things moving when it wasn't just the stars. But it was so star-dependent um, that it was it was a problem in the end. This year, obviously, things still run through Kawhi and Paul George, but. Um, you've seen a much bigger emphasis on getting the ball moving around, you know, getting into the paint, kicking out. The paint touches are probably the top category um, of statistic that Ty Lue tracks the most because he feels like once you get into the paint, you can open up everything from there. And so you're seeing a lot of kickout passes for threes, and that's why they are the league's top shooting three-point team. Um, So that's where I think that everything is still going to run through the two stars uh, whenever they get back. Um, But – what the the hallmark of the Tai Lue era is, I would say, is that um, it really doesn't end with those two guys. It starts with them, it doesn't end with them.
0: Is there anybody in the West, whether it is Phoenix, uh, Denver, if they were to improve, anybody who you think could get into that four or five series and be a problem for whoever the one seed ends up being, whether it's the Jazz, the Lakers, or the Clippers?
2: I, both those teams you just mentioned are teams that um, I, I still think that whether they could, you know, really knock out a team, at one Seattle now, but uh, I guess we're, we're deep enough into the year where you can start 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 to take stock of a team's strengths and weaknesses, and those teams are not, I guess, um, as strong as I thought maybe the first week of the season, first two weeks, um, but I would I would not bet against Chris Paul. You know, he's a guy who's just a winner, and so. I like that matchup if you're, if you're the Suns and you're going in, you're saying, hey, it's bubble 2.0. Like, we have nothing to lose. Let's just go out there and have fun. That's a dangerous team. They still remember what they did in the bubble last year going, no. So I think that that would be a team that you would want to avoid. Denver is, is something the Clippers would probably want to avoid just because of, you know, last year they've seen how those matchups can work against them. Um, it's a different team, obviously, but I really still like what Denver can do. Um, their, their top-end talent, their ceiling, is so good with Jokic at the, at the core of it that, yeah, that's a team that I don't think anyone wants to see. And the Clippers, although they're not going to have the same matchup problems that really sank them against Nuggets, you know, if they don't have Montrez Harrell to match up against Jokic for minutes on end and get picked apart for minutes on end, um, it's still something where you know, you're going to have to deal with Jamal Murray. You're still going to have to deal with Michael Porter Jr. You're going have to deal with Jokic, and that's going to be really hard no matter what.
0: He's Andrew Greif, L.A. Clipper writer for the L.A. Times. Andrew, we appreciate the time. Thanks for hopping on with us. Thank you for having me. No DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. Your feedback is coming up next. And it's all over almost here. Don't go
1: nowhere.
0: When Michael Conley comes back. I hope Quinn realizes he's the third best point guard on this team behind Joe and Don. He should come in off the bench, eighth person off rotation. End of story. He's not all that. There's a great team right here in Utah, but a lot of sports dudes say they're kind of blah. That we'll never have what a champion has. Well, they can all kiss my chest. Oh, naughty. Now we're going to have to hit the old dump oh. button there, Yak. Yeah. Hey, okay, he fit Champion <laughs> in there for you, PK.
1: <laughs> like a personal what? favor. What do you mean he put in Chomping? What are you talking about? He understands the show. How else do you say it? You want a championship, don't you? No, championship. No, you're going for the ship, man. That's different. Jazz, are going for the ship.
0: Question of the day. The Jazz are rolling along at 23-5. and How much can they pull away from the Lakers now that Anthony Davis is out? And Russ corrects the question. The better question is, how many times will the national media use the injury to discount what the Jazz are doing? And Josh corrects that. He says they have a new reason to discount Utah every day, especially that wanker Stephen A. Let (laughs) him. When team after team loses in Utah Good thing in the playoffs, in Britain right now, yeah, right. When team after team loses in Utah in the playoffs, the Jazz will eliminate the ability to discount them.
1: Well, that's the ultimate great thing about pro sports: is none of that stuff matters in the end. The winner's the winner, and there's no qualifiers. Even if there are qualifiers, they don't count because you're still the winner.
0: Don't have to worry about the selection committee. Don't have to worry about the seeding. Win games, get the seed you get, and then go win in the postseason.
1: Yeah, first team is 16. That's the beauty of it.
0: 16 playoff
1: Ws. That's all that matters. And it doesn't matter if the other guys were hurt or this or that. I suppose maybe this year, if there's a big COVID thing, that would be a little bit different. But we're a few months away from that, and... Expecting—I uh, don't know if it's just dreaming—but expecting things to be better in that realm at that point. So I'm uh, not going to even talk about that because it could be a waste of time. There's nothing you can do about it anyway. And you know, they may postpone games in, a, in the finals if it came to that, rather than cancel them. So or play them with half a team or whatnot. You know, we see some in uh, college. Some guys, some teams are literally playing with like seven scholarship players and they're making them play. And the seven scholarship players want to play because they probably haven't played for two weeks or what have you. <laughs> right? So uh, it's all jacked up, but I don't think we've seen that at the pro level, and I don't think we'll see that in the in postseason. Jazz are rolling
0: at 23-5. and five. How much can they pull away from the Lakers now that Anthony Davis is out? Brandon tweets at us and says, I don't know, but I'd rather have a go at them with a the full lineup before the playoffs. Yeah, They're going to play the games anyway. I'd rather see the full lineups than uh, a mishmash of whoever is available. But it is what it is, as the cliche goes. And if I were the Lakers, there's no chance I'd run Anthony Davis out there before the playoffs. And I think that's what the Lakers are going to do, before too. Before the playoffs? Or, excuse yeah. me, before the All-Star. Sorry, before the All-Star game. I'm looking at the word playoffs. Uh, before the All-Star game and then after the All-Star game, see. So the Jazz are going to see a shorthanded Laker team. Not yes. as clear to me what the Clippers are going to be doing, especially by Friday. Um,
1: Yeah, I think that's overstated, though, in the short term, because any given game, these teams are not that one-player-centric to where they can't overcome it.
0: Right, but it's still a different beast. But you're right. I mean, there are times where losing a guy can really fire everybody up. And so would you rather have that one guy there or would you rather have seven other guys thinking, hey, it's more shots for me, I get to handle the ball more, or you know, whatever it is?
1: Well, I mean, we saw it just as recently as last night with Simmons and, and Harris yep. going off. I don't think they go off to that level of because Embiid is going to get his just about every game. And then on the flip side, I don't think there's any question. Joe probably doesn't want to address it, but he's just playing way better with Conley out and the, the good thing about it is he compared to last year coming off the bench the differences were startling most of the season this year the difference isn't as startling he's playing better as a starter he's more productive anyway statistically but it's not like coming off the bench he's that far behind relative to where he was last year And we're we're in this situation this year again, but with Conley, oh, should he come off the bench and all? I I I think as far as the the great thing about Joe and being the ultimate egoless player, you already got a good thing with him coming off the bench. So why mess that up when Mike's ready to go? Now, some people say, well, you got a good thing with him starting. Why would you mess that up? Because you are you're changing it a little bit. It's like Quinn talked about last night, taking. Clarkson out for the last four or five minutes. That's what they've been doing. And they've been winning games, and you can be the most unorthodox, craziest coach in the world. As long as you're winning, nobody cares.
0: Nobody cares what the plan is when you win. Yeah. They want to know the plan. And the plan can be important if you're losing. Some people say, well, the plan is good, and they've just been unfortunate, and you can go to the injuries or the opponent or bad luck or bad calls, you know, whatever. There's a long list of stuff. Where you really get in trouble is when the plan is bad and the results are bad. That's when you're sunk. That's when they start firing people. So right. I, I think that to your point, you know, what we don't know the X factor in all of this is we don't know how Co- how Conley would play coming off the bench. And because they're playing so well, this is not the time to find out. So I agree. W- when he's back, he'll go back into his role and we'll have to see if he comes back with a minute's restriction and all of that, you know, so there could be some transition phase here. I, I just think Joe's a better player coming off the bench. And I think the biggest factor, there's probably a lot of them, and his comfort and you know confidence is one of them, but he needs to be playing with better players. You know, he is great. He is at his best when the mixer is on and other teams are in the scramble. And when he's playing with less effective players, a big guy who can't finish at the rim and perimeter guys who can't shoot threes, they don't go into the scramble. Joe can't shoot because people don't leave him, and Joe doesn't get assists because the other guys can't finish. When you put him out there with better players, he's really going to shine, especially when his decision-making's on display when the other team is scrambling to match up. So that's what he's got going right now, and that's a big part of why his numbers are so good. But I just don't think you can underestimate, going back to your point about the Sixers, which is also true with Conley out, you take a player out, there's more, there's more shots, there's more touches, you're more into the flow of the game, you're playing an important role, and your numbers ought to go up. And there's no chance those two guys would have gone for 42 and 36. If Embiid the
1: numbers are there. astounding. <laughs>
0: the numbers are astounding, but they're astounding because Embiid is out. And when he comes back, he'll get shots and touches, and Simmons won't get on the early game roll because he'll be feeding Embiid early on and then watching him go to work. Embiid got to eat. Feed the big man. All right, we got to take a break and make way for Hands and Scotty. They are coming up next. See you tomorrow morning. It'll be a game day for the Jazz. Jazz and Clips tomorrow night. Hands and Scotty next on 97.5 at 1280 The Zone.